0: This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 AM, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true, that if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything
1: can
2: change.
3: Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut, Babette. We would like to pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation from whose land we are broadcasting at Radio 3CR and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row. Today takes us all over the country to find out who is financing the expansion of coal, oil and gas in this country and how they can be stopped. We start at the Wangan and Jagalingu country up in Queensland Where over 100 financial institutions have been frightened off from Adani's catastrophe-fueling coal mine and then to the Australian Financial Review Summit where 350.org, Lock the Gate and Extinction Rebellion had an early morning event outside the Hilton in Sydney. Julian Vincent was inside addressing the bankers and outside a young boy Chris Black told us how he had appealed to the head of national australia bank to stop funding coal oil and gas projects the headline all over the country was teen cyclone survivor confronts bank boss but i was the only radio person there so you listeners are the lucky ones my main interview is with julian vincent who is the winner of the 2022 goldman environment prize It honours grassroots heroes around the world, and previous Australian winners have been Bob Brown and Wendy Bowman. You will hear Julian, accompanied by Pablo Breit, telling the story of market forces and how they are unleashing the power that we have to stop the financing of fossil fuels. Shareholder action and divestment are ways to damage the reputation of the companies and banks that are damaging whole ecosystems, as well as ruining the future for all of us. In Britain, they had a money rebellion. Extinction Rebellion exposed the fact that banks and stock markets are unelected and they make huge decisions for all of us with little accountability. We go to the Shell AGM. As people were disrupting it inside, are singing and chanting, very respectable looking people and nothing, doing nothing violent but just interrupting. We heard from a Singaporean woman who says the wet bulb temperatures in her country are making it unlivable. And Singapore is a wealthy country with lots of air conditioning, but nearby there are many places with this hot wet bulb temperature for anyone who's working outside is really a death sentence.
4: What a molly! my name is Kudi. I am Yangilingu Cultural Custodian. I'm here at Wadanungu, which is situated right across the road from Adani's Carmichael Mine. I've been here for 263 days consecutively. I am not going anywhere. We have said no to Adani's mine for 10 years. For 10 years, there has been no free prior and informed consent from our people. The Indigenous Land Use Agreement that Adani has with our people is fraudulent. It is signed by people that aren't from our tribe. This is a message to all the management at GLASS. Do not fund Adani with his port or rail or his Carmichael mine. Do not get involved in the abuse of indigenous rights. This is a message to all the staff at GLASS. Please, speak up, say something about this. Don't let your company be a party to the destruction of our culture. We've lost so much already. We cannot afford to lose any more. I thank you for your patience. Watermully.
3: Here we are in Sydney outside the Financial Review Banking Summit at the Hilton.
5: Okay,
6: so this is the letter that's being handed to him. Dear Mr McEwen, my name is Chris Black and I'm a 15-year-old climate disaster survivor. I'm in year nine, and I live in Forestville, and I'm very concerned about the climate crisis. For me, this is a very personal issue, which is literally a fight for my future. I wanted to personally deliver a letter to you today, because despite all expert opinion and a lot of community pressure, NAB is still actively making the climate crisis worse by funding new fossil fuel infrastructure and funding the worst fossil fuel companies who show no signs of supporting net zero. These decisions are having real consequences for people all around the world. Over the last two years, I've personally had some terrible experiences relating to the climate crisis that I wanted to tell you about so that you could see the sorts of impacts that ordinary Australians like myself are having to endure now. This is my story. I started getting really worried about climate change when my family holiday house in the Blue Mountains almost burnt down in the black summer bushfires. The fire came within 100 metres of our house. We were lucky, but lots of people did lose their homes and even their lives. Heaps of animals died too, and lots of forest burnt down. After that, I started reading more about the climate crisis and getting active with a few local groups. That, that helped me with the anxiety that I was feeling and it feel like I was making a difference. But then in April last year, when I was on a holiday with my family in Western Australia, we got caught in the middle of Cyclone Seroja, It flattened 80% of the town, and the hotel that we were sheltering in was basically destroyed. Tragically, a man was electrocuted and died just a few metres away from me. It was a terrifying experience that I'll never forget. We had to fly out of there and leave our car behind because the roads were far too damaged to drive. Having a bird's eye view of the damage and destruction that had occurred really moved me. That was when it really started hitting me about how bad climate change is and that it is happening right now. I had loads more mental health problems after that, which really impacted my daily life. But I realized that I just needed to take more action. So that's when I joined School Strike for Climate. This year we've had all the terrible floods and Lismore was hit really badly. My school flooded twice too, so I couldn't go to school for three days. Climate disasters are getting worse and worse and happening all of the time now. My climate anxiety wears me down and almost everyone I know has some sort of mental health problems relating to climate. I'm trying to show them that we can do something if we speak up and that we need to get our government and business leaders to listen to us. So I hope you can understand why ordinary Australians like myself are demanding urgent climate action. Last November, you denied engaging in Greenwash and said on SBS that you had aligned NABS lending practices with the International Energy Agency. This is simply untrue, Mr McEwen. We don't buy your spin and greenwash. We're sick of all your half measures and empty promises. Students from School Strike for Climate also met with you earlier this year and asked you to step up and lead on climate. We're sick of asking you, Mr McEwen. Now we're demanding that you take the Paris Climate Agreement, the International Energy Agency, and the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change seriously, and act immediately to firstly, stop funding all new fossil fuel projects and infrastructure, stop funding fossil fuel companies that are not urgently transitioning, such as Whitehaven, New Hope, Santos, and Woodside, and finally, divert this money to funding more renewable energy solutions instead. These changes would affect a tiny portion of NAB's portfolio, but are critically important for avoiding catastrophic climate impacts. I'm personally sick and tired of all your company's negligible tactics to mitigate climate change, and your blatant greenwashing. I firmly believe that you need to be prioritising the safety of people's lives over your own profit. That being said, taking real action on climate change would have almost no economic impact on your company whatsoever, and would benefit NAB in the long run. With hope, Chris.
1: Morning, everyone. How are you going? You look fabulous. Look, we look a bit strange, but anyway. I'm I'm here with a very uh, courageous young man, Chris Black. He's just done something quite extraordinary inside. So, but I will let him tell you his story of, of what happened.
7: Yeah, so basically, Ross McEwen, the CEO of NAB, is not NAB is not doing anything to help the climate crisis, which is why I wrote my letter to him, which I think you've heard. I handed it to him. I told him he was not doing enough and he told me he's not funding any new coal, oil or gas projects.
2: James!
7: He told me he's doing everything they can to help the climate crisis and that I should go look at his policy. I've looked at it and it is horrific. They are refusing to act on climate change and it has to stop. I've been personally affected by the climate crisis time and time again. I almost died in a cyclone. My grandparents' house almost burnt down and my school has flooded twice this year. Yet still, he continues to fund the climate crisis and still he refused to stop funding new coal, oil and gas projects. Shame! Thank you to everyone who came out today. Um, it's really amazing to see you all here, sticking it to Ross McEwan and telling him that what he's doing is not okay. Woo! Yeah!
1: Give it up for Chris. Woo! He actually, Russ McEwen was um, being interviewed, like they were sitting on a couple of chairs, and Chris just stood up and he's like, "Excuse me, Mr. McEwen," and he just walked up and started just like talking at him, and and there's security coming up, and then everyone's like, "Oh my God, what's going on?" And then they ended up giving him a, a microphone. And you're like, yeah, it was, it was quite something. So um, it, was, it was being live streamed on AFR.com as well. So um, I think we might have created a, an interesting little incident. And uh, it'll be interesting to see um, when we go back inside um, at morning tea time, whether Mr. McEwen has anything to say in response to Chris and his letter. Anyway, one more time, get up for Chris, he's a champion.
3: Rory Phillips is a young boy from the Snowy Mountains. His song, The Truth, was a finalist in the Environmental Music Prize.
2: What's the world going to be in a year or two? What's it going to be like for me and you? Will the men in power do what they need to do? What's the world going to be like in a year or two? lost its mind again this crazy world that we're living in and we all give up and we all give in give us the truth don't give us your lies don't try to cut us down to your size What's the world gonna be like in 20 years? Seems like it's lost its mind again This crazy world that we're living in And we all give up and we all give in Give us the truth, don't give us your lies Don't try to cut us down to your side Give us the truth Don't give us your lies, don't try to cut us down to your size. People are real, we all feel the pain When you lie to us again and again Give us the truth, don't give us your lies Don't try to cut us down to your size.
3: Today we're talking big money, trillions still flowing from banks and investors into the new oil, gas and coal projects. A special honour today is to Julian Vincent, who received the Goldman Environmental Prize just last week. I remember when he started Market Forces at Friends of the Earth in Melbourne. He had a new approach to climate action. The last time we interviewed Julian, it was about the sort of direct action he did with Greenpeace. He'd climbed up a chimney with other people and locked onto a coal-fired power plant in Italy. And now I want him to tell us the story of how he decided to, to disarm the fossil fuel industry where it really hurts. So welcome, Julian, and congratulations for winning the Goldman Prize.
8: Thanks so much, Vivian. That is lovely of you to say so. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well how does it feel to be noticed globally in this way from those humble beginnings oh, in a corner of friends of the earth you know really it's great
8: i think we've we've known for a while we've been noticed um because you know the award is is a wonderful thing definitely it's, it's an incredible honor but we've been we've been winning campaigns and we've been putting fossil fuel companies and their financiers on the back foot and to force them to rethink their strategies for many years now. And it's because we've been able to build up a a great team full of incredible campaigners who have an, an incredible focus on this mission we have, which is to just drive finance out of fossil fuels as quickly as we possibly can. And we're just getting more and more momentum as each year month week goes on in that regard so no we've been we've been noticed I think probably that the fossil fuel industry and the government noticed it's pretty early on we've had a, a couple of uh, run-ins with with them over the years so hopefully what the award does is simply just acknowledge that it's you know, it's not just the work that market forces has done it's the fact that campaigns on on finance on financial institutions trying to drain that pool of money available for the fossil fuel industry have been wildly successful and it's a proven model and so that's that's the best news because it's they're genuinely people-powered campaigns they're campaigns that have been fought and won because people have decided to use their money as a force for good and speak up and demand action from finance and so now we just need to scale this model up because we we've got uh, a huge amount of catching up to do when it comes to aligning the pace of change with what the climate science requires
3: yeah and i like the idea that there's many uh, prongs to the attack and another person who won the goldman prize was in nigeria and he's a lawyer and they did a you know court-based attack on the um, shell oil in nigeria which has caused huge environmental damage as well as the climate damage of the oil I think listeners will be really heartened to hear the story of how you started small and then with your team created this agency that makes governments and businesses tremble.
8: It started with the idea. So about 10 years ago, I was still working at Greenpeace and I was starting to win campaigns there by intervening in the sources of finance to fossil fuel projects, you'll remember probably the the last coal power plant proposed in Australia was the HRL coal power plant in Victoria, which was ultimately stopped um, with a campaign that Greenpeace and Environment Victoria and Friends of the Earth through Quick Coal did a huge amount of work on. Um, But that was dependent on the government grant and that behind that government grant was Private finance that was required as a prerequisite. So by going after the private finance, we actually cut off that grants and stop that coal power station, and that just put the idea in my head. Well, why aren't we focusing on finance and investment day in day out? And so I just had this idea of creating something that would elevate the role of banks, insurers, um, super funds, you know, the sources of finance, and and give people information on what the custodians of their money were doing with it and then give people things that they could do, like actions they could take to use the, sales, use the agency that they've got as a, a member of that financial institution. And so it was really just getting information synthesized and put together in a format that people could understand and appreciate and engage with. And it was a good idea. And I know it was a good idea because it, it took off and it grew and, and people were attracted to it and we started to get success and we've just followed our noses since there and people like Pablo and, and others have joined the team and we, we've now got this great group of people just hitting the fossil fuel industry, as you say, where, where it hurts in in the places that matter most.
3: Yeah, Well, at the end, we'll sort of make a pitch to listeners how they can join up. And your website is full of information. If people just want to find out where their bank or super company is invested, they can find that out on your website. So we'll talk about that at the end. But as you mentioned, Pablo is with us and um, he's part of Market Forces team. And he's a much loved community organizer, I think. And I know him from the beyond zero emissions days. And Pablo, tell us how Market Forces gives community members an effective tool to stop us banking on climate chaos you've been a climate conscious person for a really long time how do you team this up with how people people who don't like marching down the street with banners and you know taking direct action and locking themselves onto things but people can do quite a lot and you've encouraged people to think that
0: yeah I mean there's lots of different ways that you know people can get involved with the climate movement and push things in the right direction I mean at Market Forces you know, we start with that information that you mentioned before. So we start by gathering up the institutions, the way they support these fossil fuel companies and the fossil fuel projects, and we make that information public. And so, you know, anyone can look up their bank and see how much they're lending to fossil fuels. They can look up their superannuation fund. um, And it starts with that information and with with that knowledge. And then we help then people build on that through running campaigns, um, bringing people together, taking action collectively rather than just individually, making sure that that gets noticed by the institutions, um, ideally by the media as well, and increase the pressure from there. We also look at the different levers that, are, that a company would be influenced by. So there's, there is the customers and the brand, there's shareholders, you know, there's a whole range of stakeholders that companies are accountable to and so we look to mobilize those stakeholders and get them to to pressure the banks or investors, insurers to cut ties from with fossil fuels.
3: Well, when you're talking to people in the community, who are a bit averse to dangerous climate action. What, What do you tell them about the successes of it? I think there's an appeal to a lot of people, perhaps older people or people who've got a lot of money, but you know, just don't want to go out there and do something risky.
8: What do you mean by dangerous climate action? (laughs) Dangerous climate action is doing nothing. Dangerous climate action is when people people don't use the power that they've got, especially in a country like Australia, where we've got we're just we're brimming with freedom and opportunity to speak up and speak out. You know, some of the other Golden Prize recipients, for instance, are operating in circumstances where they are putting their lives on the line just by speaking out. And so people should be, people should take whatever opportunities in front of them to make a difference because we need all hands on deck here. But it's our jobs, professional campaigners' jobs, to create the circumstances for that. We need to be smart in coming up with effective ways that people can. Use the agency that they've got um and so that can be people attending marches and, and and rallies people taking people continues to take direct actions because they they feel like the the scale of the threat is not being met with with commensurate action and you can absolutely understand why but all those letters that people send all those phone calls or all the emails that go in they add up you know just last week we were contacted by a bank and I won't say which one because I'd like this tactic to work again but we were told that they they were very rattled by the email bomb that went (laughs) off inside the organization and and actually have given us a response that that is a effectively a win for our campaign as a result of that so you know it's it is our job to make sure that we're not just getting people to act on, on faith and give positive reinforcement that their actions are having an impact because it's in the interest of companies and governments to make people feel disempowered. And, and we're here to make people feel empowered. But we need folks to take whatever action they feel comfortable doing. And it's our job to make sure that, that those are as effective as possible like what we put in front of people.
3: Good answer. Well, what do you say to the banking industry I, I was outside the Financial Review Summit the other day and a young boy went in and then he came out and told us, the crowd outside, about he'd spoken to the NAB Bank person. They even gave him a microphone. Just a boy in short pants, like 14-year-old schoolboy. And he, he said, um, they gave me the microphone and it was live streamed to the AFR audience and so it was sort of a disruptive thing. And he just told a very honest story about how he'd been through floods, fires, and a cyclone. And he said, it just affects everyone's mental health. We're all young people. We're like, It's very hard to to, go, to believe in the future we're, we're right. So he made that sort of emotional appeal. But what appeal do you make when you talk to banking people, industry people?
8: Yeah, uh, Chris, who's the, the schoolboy in question, was an absolute rock star at that event. And it needed a dose of climate reality as well. Because also, I mean, Chris's story is 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 quite incredible because he's so young and, and has had that incredibly direct, visceral experience of climate change. But let's not forget, like, there are now millions of people who have had firsthand experience of climate impacts just in the last few years. And these stories are numerous, and they will come back to bite the the industries that are driving the problem. What do we say to banks? We tell them what we want and we tell them why we want it. And what we want is for them to stop financing the expansion of the fossil fuel industry. And we want them to phase out exposure to these sectors in a timeframe that is Paris aligned. It's pretty reasonable stuff, but then it's less about what we want because they know what we want. We've been telling them for years what we want there's that they shouldn't have any doubt in their mind. And if they do have any doubt, they should probably go and find another job. But what matters is how much we can influence that. So they know what we want is to stop the expansion of the fossil fuel industry. But do we have enough power to convince them to do that? Because on the other side of this equation, are governments and and the fossil fuel companies themselves, which have the relationships and the vested interests that are pulling this conversation the other direction mm. so making it making a clear compelling case is just the beginning and we need to back that up with power and influence and and it just all comes back to the people power people using the power that got as shareholders as super fund members as bank customers or just people who want to hold banks and other investors as accountable as governments
3: yeah so it's like great
8: sometimes sometimes i've been in meetings where the response from banks has been yeah great policies may come back with some power and that's what we need to do Mm.
3: well this is exactly what i want to hear about we're talking to julian vincent and pablo Brait from market forces and julian's just won the goldman prize it's a global environmental prize So, look, Julian, when we covered COP26, I did many radio shows on that, every aspect, everyone I could talk to, especially the people out in the street, you know, out in Glasgow. But I was shocked to see that Santos Gas had advertisements on the Australian pavilion. They were as brash as that. And um, I learned that there were hundreds of fossil fuel lobbyists inside the conference. And even when the International Energy Agency says no more coal, no new gas, no new oil... Um, We know these companies like Exxon, Rio, Tinto, Santos, AGL, they're still pushing their business ahead. They're hoping to dig up as much of it as they can. And um, how hard is it for them to get finance these days? Do you have any good news to tell us?
0: I'll let Pablo
8: go first.
3: Yeah, okay.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, well, there's definitely good news. And one of the things that has come out recently is that coal miners here in Australia have begun to quite openly complain about the difficulty they're, fi- they're having in finding finance and finding insurance. So that's one of the ways we know that this sort of work is having an impact. I mean, there was a parliamentary inquiry last year, um, and one of Adani's contractors that was building the railway line for, for its coal mine in Queensland said their insurance broker had scoured the world for insurance and they were unable to find anyone to insure them um, specifically for the building of this railway line. And so, you know, Adani had to take on that risk so that they could continue working. So, you know, that's just one of the examples that we're finding and there's similar complaints coming from other coal miners around finance as well. So there's a definite impact that we're seeing, particularly when it comes to coal. We're hearing it directly from the coal miners themselves. I don't think the coal industry is in a position now to sponsor its way out of trouble and and
8: market its way out of trouble. But we do have an issue with with gas as well. We have Woodside and Santos, I think you've mentioned, you know, doing their advertising and pushing massive new projects that would um, add billions of tonnes of CO2 to the atmosphere if they go ahead. Uh, The only thing I'd add is we we all need to remember that companies will get away with as much as we let them get away with it's just a question we need to ask as a society you know how much we're we willing to let these companies get away with it because we can choose to require the likes of santos and woodside to stop expanding and going the other direction but we just need to get as many people involved in campaigns like this as possible
3: yeah Well, look, this takes us to the Ukraine. I think the global world (laughs) is moving along. Let's see what you think about this. In, In France, they've got a new Minister for Energy Transition. And I love that name because it's so much better than Minister for Climate Change. So she will be in the hot seat now because of the war in Ukraine, it's forcing Europe to accelerate the shift to energy efficiency and clean energy. But they'll also be taking more gas from non-russian sources. So what does this mean for Australian gas producers and their bankers? Do you think this is going to make all this effort push down the line for another decade because the gas will be so much in demand?
8: No, but that's that's what the gas industry wants for sure, but let let's put a let's put a clear dividing line between an immediate short-term need for countries that have have committed of their infrastructure to gas to find alternative sources other than Russia let's put a line between that and building an entire new generation of infrastructure that won't even come online if it goes ahead at all till the second part of this decade that would then lock in these and other countries to even more imported fuels which I don't know why if you're a country that is importing coal and gas at this point, you would be in any way excited about entrenching yourself into these fuel types. You're paying through the nose already. We're paying through climate impacts. We're paying through uh, local displacement of of communities when we build more fossil fuel infrastructure. And now we're also paying, as we see through this conflict and the invasion of Ukraine, that we can get short-term price spikes as well, that would just ruin the, the public purse of countries that are dependent on these imports. Yeah, it might be a nice little short-term windfall for companies that are selling oil and gas and coal at this point. That is a very different proposition to uh, to, to building a whole wave of new projects, and any country that is uh, currently dependent on imported coal and imported oil, imported gas, should be looking to get themselves off of those fuels as fast as possible. So I think what we're going to see is a an acceleration of this transition out of gas over the medium term, even though in, in the year 2022, yeah, there's ab- absolutely disruption and some of the industries are going to take advantage of, of that in the short term. But the idea of locking in more infrastructure is nuts. And the IEA has said that. Fatih Birol, who is the executive director, sorry, of the IEA, has said we can't let action on climate change be yet another casualty of the invasion of Ukraine. And that's coming from the head of the IEA.
3: Yeah. Pablo, you've been part of market forces for quite a long time. Would you like to tell Julian from the general public who you meet and everyone? why it's so good that this market forces came into being and that now he's been rewarded by this international honour. And just talk about yourselves a little bit because surely I think I, with finance, I haven't got a clue and I really wonder if I'm asking the right questions, but would you just talk to him, you know?
0: I feel like probably you need to hold my hand. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, look, I think I feel like, you know, we play a really critical role because in the past, the the focus of the climate movement has been almost exclusively on government policy. And, you know, that that focus is absolutely still required, but the, you know, having a group, and, and there are other groups also working on finance as well. It's not just market forces, but like having, you know, a group that's dedicated to finance, to the finance sector on the job, every day of the week pushing that side of things gives us another avenue to to accelerate the transition out of fossil fuels and so i think it's a it's a critical role especially with how powerful the finance sector is you know in a global Mm. capitalist system you know they their decisions are really impactful they they also have a lot of influence on government policy as well and so it's just really critical that this flow of money that is continuing to prop up the coal, oil and gas sector, including companies building new coal, oil and gas projects, that that tap is turned off. It adds a lot of strength to the climate movement more broadly that we can run campaigns focused on things outside of government policy and hit fossil fuel companies in the hip pocket.
3: That thing that Julian said about getting more power, how can we get more power? all of us all the groups but yours especially
0: well i mean it's about being organized and working well together with lots of people and recruiting more people to our cause and to our movement and to our groups i think
8: people need to understand the power is already there it's about using using more of what is there uh, it's it's in the interest of governments and and especially fossil fuel companies to make people feel small and disempowered and we're trying to push back against we successfully push back against that we win every time so getting more power is is great but I think we're not even scratching the surface of the power that actually exists in the community no. so it, it's more people getting involved and and us continuing to do a good job of channeling that power effectively
3: well I, I felt in the last election the teal people, they had, where I live, there, was, there were meetings all through COVID, you know, in pubs and just surveys and meetings. And it was, it was lovely to meet the people I've lived with for 40 years, you know, new people and all coming in with this kind of climate consciousness as well as a lot more human rights consciousness. And to know that they live in this area, I've never even seen them before. And that was just strategy and organising. It was organised. And then some of the, teal, you know, a lot of Teal got through the kitchen cabinet idea seem to blossom so I agree that the power is there groups like yours organizing people to know that they've got that power is a, is a fabulous gesture and
0: and and Viv one other thing I think often the finance sector in particular likes to pretend that they're you know the smartest guys in the room that they're just like have this this secret knowledge about how the economy works and and those sorts of things and you know we have discussions with the finance sector all the time and the way that they're handling climate change i think quite clearly demonstrates that they don't have access to any secret knowledge and they're floundering in trying to work out how to deal with this issue and so i think that's another thing important thing for people to know that that their concerns about what these institutions are doing with their money are absolutely legitimate and they should not let themselves be told By their bank or whatever that the bank knows better and you know knows what to do with the money because it just that's just not what we've found to be the case on that
3: happy note i think we should end unless you have something more to say i'll I'll say
8: one other thing um your comment there about being heartened by people coming out in these teal lectures it's a good reminder of the fact that the vast majority of people in australia are concerned about climate change and want to see more done and so if you've got you know, eighty percent or more people who very strongly support the notion of wanting more climate action—you'll find them in every single electorate. You'll also find them working for big companies. So you'll find them working for the banks. You'll find them working for insurance companies. You'll find them working for super funds. You'll find them even working in fossil fuel companies and companies connected to, to the sector. Um, and it's it's about it like like we said, the theme through this whole conversation has been empowerment. It's about empowerment of those people to have a say, to use their voice, to speak up. It's another manifestation of kind of political will. It's just getting community will there bubbling up and requiring action on all fronts.
3: Thank you. Very good. So we've been listening to Market Forces CEO and founder Julian Vincent and Pablo Breit, part of the Market Forces team and just one thing you mentioned you're in asia or all up the coast of east eastern part of australia pablo just where does Margaret forces reach
0: well we're now a global organization <laughs> um so we have our Main office is in Melbourne, but yeah, we have staff up the east coast of Australia and based around Southeast and East Asia as well, and also a presence in the UK.
3: Brilliant. I didn't know that before, and I don't know that all the listeners did so. Wonderful. So now, listeners, you you can be part of an international organisation as well. Please look up the website, Market Forces, and you'll find all the campaigns they're involved in, things like banks funding climate failure and super funding a worse future and public money propping up fossil fuels these are all i think pablo's little funny catchy phrases or whoever's doing the the writing on that website so we've got a very nice sense of yep. making us sit up and take attention and you can get involved in market forces by just joining up with them or donating to their ongoing success so thanks very much thank you Thanks, Vivian. thank, thank, you. thank you thank you i just want i because you won the golden prize i want you to tell to tell you that Pablo gave me a prize once when I was with BZE and I got the Alan Jones <laughs> Memorial Prize for Truth in Broadcasting.
0: <laughs>
2: awesome.
6: I love
0: it. It's still Unfortunately, we, yeah, we were ahead of our time calling it the <laughs> Memorial Prize, but uh, we live <laughs> in hope. Right.
9: 3
8: community radio is an important function, just like anything to do with community. I think
9: community radio is essential. And there was the pre-election episode that helped form my views on how I should vote on May 21. Vivian Langford talked with several people and it gave me a great idea how I should vote. So at this point, let me endorse Community Radio. I think it's a wonderful asset and a benefit to the community.
3: Now we're going to London. Extinction Rebellion shareholders disrupted the AGM of Shell Oil. The meeting was live streamed to shareholders around the world. At first, the 60 or 70 rebels looked like ordinary, respectable shareholders. They looked like school teachers and accountants. But spot fires of singing and speeches broke out in the hall. seemed very patient. Outside, the rebel shareholders told us why Shell must be stopped. So
10: when, when a police officer came towards us and they were all, they were very polite, we asked them their name and then we said, can we pray for you and your family? So then we prayed for them and their family. And did, did you leave voluntarily? Were you asked to leave? Did they threaten to carry you out? Or? No, what happened was we were there to disrupt the meeting and to call out the board of, of Shell are spending 90% of their capital on oil and gas, and greenwashing and kidding the public on that they're actually doing a lot of investment in renewable. So we were there to call them out on that, and in fact the the meeting had to be abandoned because there were so many protesters.
5: So I heard it's been stopped for two hours, but you think it might actually have been abandoned now? No, it has been abandoned now. It's, oh, so the, that's the latest news. It's been abandoned. The Shell AGM has been abandoned because of nearly two hours of disruptive actions inside.
10: So um, because we, there, were, there were probably about 60 of us in the room and that really helped have that solidarity. And then with myself and my two friends from Christian Climate Action, we stood on the, sta- on the, on the chairs and we felt as if we were in the right place at the right time doing the right thing we must call out shell and exxon and exxon mobil to tell all of the oil companies they are kidding the public on that they are doing good they are doing the opposite of good they are not investing in renewables in any way that they need to to keep below 1.5 degrees they are lying to the public it's very sad that's why we're here to um make People in, on the board who are human beings like us, and we hold no ill will towards them. We're Christians. We don't. We don't hate them. We just want them to wake up to the reality of the climate emergency. Because if they don't, and the people in government over here, if they don't, then humanity and. The animals and creation of this planet are all going to suffer tremendously. We already are suffering. We're already there. let say with XR, everything we
5: do comes from a place of love. So Christianity and XR are so Absolutely. similar, aren't
10: they? Yeah. Well, extinction. Re- we're Extinction Rebellion. We're the Christian arm of Extinction Rebellion. But we're we Christians are not. Don't have the. Um, the a monopoly on love. There is love throughout Extinction Rebellion. Love for the people, even who, even people we disagree with, and and so it is really important that we we trust we 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 trust that the what we said today might get through to some of those shareholders and might get through to some of the people in the board.
5: Let's hope that works. Um, we have to end the interview there because it's raining heavily. I've got to put the umbrella up for my kick break. So thank you very much, So Thank you very much. We will
3: woman had written a personal letter to the deputy head of shell who is also from singapore
11: i think there's a lot of hate and rage for shell we don't we
5: really don't like like it and how how did the ordinary shareholders react when all this was going on
11: they some were really really cross i was sat behind in front of uh, two two shareholders who were extremely angry they kept commenting they said you know that we were like kindergarten children or we were like um aging hippies like all, all those the usual comments that you get when you when people see climate activists and they just like unleash their inner troll and just like there's yeah i know it's it's completely bonkers and y- yuling go is the deputy chair of um of of Shell and um, she is from Singapore so I I kind of wrote a very tailored personal message to her so so yeah so the IPCC warns that Southeast Asia will bear the brunt of climate change like yourself Yulin my father was born in Singapore he grew up in the 1940s and 50s and the Singapore he knew was entirely different to today he would tell me stories of spending his childhood playing in the jungle, as a boy, boy scout camping on the beach and swimming in the sea. I have many relatives living in Singapore Malaysia today and the weather is becoming unbearable for them. They spend most of the time sheltering inside air-conditioned buildings, which, as you know, just makes it feel hotter outside. Um, do you want to know about the wet, um, wet glo- bulb glo- globe uh, temperature? The, what yeah. Wet, <laughs> wet bulb globe temperature which yeah, is yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. so with an average annual temperature of 28 degrees and an average humidity of 85% Singapore has an average wet bulb globe temperature rating of 32 any reading above 33 is dangerous to the human body so it,
5: you're more likely to get um, heat stroke right. so say that bit again is this what at parts of the year is is dangerous to live in Singapore? So say that yeah. bit again. That's really critical.
11: So right now, it's it's really dangerous yes. to live
5: in Singapore. So I so,
11: actually.
5: So what, so how, how are people living? Can they go out they, in the daytime? Or no, do they do? no.
11: They have um, air-conditioned buildings. They just they don't ever step outside. They they just have very sheltered lives. They don't. They, it's just too hot. Um, and. Um, Yesterday, I checked the wet bulb globe temperature readings of Singapore um, because they have all these weather stations, and all 17 stations were in the black zone with West Coast Highway having a reading of 41. Like, if 33 is like the, the cutoff point but when it's dangerous yes. and it's actually 41, that is unbelievable. Uh, it means that you cannot go you cannot exercise. But
5: that, that, that's not the wet bulb temperature of 41, was it? That no, must. That, that was the, the wet, wet bulb temperature. temperature. Sorry, carry
11: on, carry
5: on. <laughs> yeah, I know,
11: it's, uh, not many people know about this. I don't know why <laughs> people don't talk about Southeast Asia. Um, but okay, so th- though Southeast Asia is projected to warm slightly less than the global average, sea levels are rising faster than anywhere else, and shorelines, shorelines are retreating in coastal areas where 450 million people live. 19 of the 25 cities most exposed to one meter sea level rise are in asia seven in the philippines alone Uh, i've read about the singapore sea defense strategy singapore is a really rich country they can afford to build walls and um you know pump out water when it comes too high um, there's so many other countries in Southeast Asia which are much bigger and much much poorer. So places like the, the Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, um, they are just going to suffer really badly with the um, with the sea level rising. Um, but perhaps the most worrying factor is food security. Um, so eating is such an important part of, of Singaporean identity and culture. Like everyone loves to eat, they love their food. Um, And since 2020, Singapore street food has gained UNESCO status. So they love it so much, they've given it UNESCO status. Um, However, Singapore imports over 90% of its food, much from neighbouring countries. Um, But what will happen when crops start to fail from heat waves and droughts and and intense bouts of rain? um, They're becoming, which are becoming more and more frequent. With the rising global temperature and we've we've seen the heat waves in south asia which has led to india to ban wheat exports and when countries stop ex- exporting food it's going to hit singapore really hard because they can't they don't have the land to grow food it's all imported and i mean i had one one idea in the back of my mind was it's it's such a rich country that they're going to outbuy um, the food from poorer countries and it's the poorer countries that are gonna, gonna starve. I mean, that's, that's just a specula- speculation. I don't know what's gonna happen, but that's my kind of gut, gut feeling. Um, so my, my final plea to you, Lean, is that um, I beg you to think of your family in Singapore and uh, also think about Southeast Asian communities because there are millions who cannot shelter from heat and who cannot protect their homes from flooding and who cannot eat when their crops fail. I've got two young children, and I'm absolutely, absolutely terrified for the world that they will inherit. Um, and we need a livable planet. So I'm asking her to be to lead the change because he, she has the power. She.
12: We managed to prevent the meeting from going forward and in the end it was abandoned but we weren't allowed to have sandwiches even though we are shareholders there was a large amount of uh, reminding them of the blood on their hands and their current investment in further oil uh, exploitation and some of them just sat there smirking or looking embarrassed but At the end of the day there will be no shares on a dead planet these people have lost the plot and then when we came downstairs recovering our bags and registering our votes took a certain amount of time and persuasion (laughs) morning well spent
5: how did it feel being in there was it it must it must take a lot of courage to do that
12: i think um I think it's probably scarier teaching a classroom full of 14 year olds. So I've had a long career confronting large numbers of misguided people. And there were a couple of seriously misguided people in their shouting. But the people I feel sorriest about are the board members. These people are cleaning up a massive profit at the expense of people in the global south do they not realize i mean people in indonesia are not in a position to come to an agm like this and say you have ruined my life you have had me beaten up in prison in the case of the agoni 9 the government shell had the government hang them they were hanged nine of them 26 years ago and shell carries right on Polluting the Niger Delta. Where is the justice? We need climate justice now
5: Shell must have been expecting this because I reckon uh, I recognize a lot of the XR faces coming out and they must have lists of names, you know, they must have known but they wouldn't have expected anything like this would you? This is just astonishing
12: isn't it? Well, I was I was just thinking at uh, standard chartered it was a couple of dozen people. So I think they were shocked to have six dozen or however many we were. But this will teach them not to try and hold AGMs for Shell in London. They are not welcome here. There's
9: just, just a little bit of background noise. Yes. Um, yeah, well, I'm Anthony Whitehouse from Yorkshire. And uh, I've been with XR for quite a while doing this and that and the other. Um, Inside we've um, totally disrupted the uh, Shell AGM, I'm afraid. Well, I'm so glad to say to be honest, but um, We've made a very strong point to the to the board of members um, of, the, of, of Shell uh, And well, what more can we say? Um, they've, they've heard it, but they're still 40 years on not really making the move that they need to make There is no personal Particular personal reason for me, apart from the fact I've got grandchildren and I am absolutely sh- sit scared about the potential for destruction of our planet. So, yes, it's just the, an ongoing struggle. We need system change.
5: Well done for doing it and for being so committed to XR for so long. So, thank you very much. Great thank luck. you. Okay, good luck.
12: Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and help keep communities strong. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June
4: 2022. To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate
12: online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2022. Keep communities strong.
3: Thank you for listening to our climate action show with a focus on not financing fossil fuels. Thank you to our guests, Julian Vincent and Pablo Brait from Market Forces. Cody McAvoy from the Wangan and Jagalingu Protectors against the Adani coal mine in Queensland started us off. And thank you to 350.org, Lock the Gate, and Extinction Rebellion for their demonstration outside the Australian Financial Review Summit. Also to Chris Black who brought a bit of climate reality to the head of the NAB Bank Inside. A special thanks to Rory Phillips for his song, The Truth, and Gene Hinchcliffe, the youthful MC outside the summit. Thanks to Extinction Rebellion for bringing the disrupted Shell AGM to a world audience. And thank you to all of you, to the hundreds of people who are behind all these organisations who take their campaigns to scale and we can still build on this power, as Julian told us. For climate action this week, you could get involved with Market Forces or 350.org or Extinction Rebellion. They all have campaigns and petitions to sign, things to do on their websites. Please also donate to radiothon at 3CR. This is a free service and we love putting it all together, but 3CR supports us. And you can donate by calling 03 9419 8377 in business hours. My name is Vivian Langford. Good night and good luck.
5: This is Cole. Don't be afraid. The Don't treasure. be scared. It's Cole. It's Cole. It's Cole.
3: Tune in every Monday at 5 pm to hear the Climate Action Radio Show.
8: Hi, everyone. My name is Julian Vincent, and I'm the executive director of Market Forces. We campaign tirelessly to get finance taken out of the fossil fuel industry and drive the change to a decarbonized society and economy. And to hear all about that, you should keep tuning into and you should thoroughly endorse Climate Action Radio and 3CR, and please support to their their fundraising drive to keep this fantastic work going.
12: Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and help keep communities strong. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2022.
4: To donate, call 03 9419 or donate online.